All right. Next, we, uh, we, we want to, as we are marking our third birthday, we want to sort of, uh, we want to be able to share a story with you, a story of a, of, of a family in our church community that actually became a part of our church community in this last year. So what I'm going to do at this point is I'm going to have Mike and Lynn come on up. Welcome them. You want to join your husband? Sure. Cool. It's a small stage. We got to figure it out. Okay, so we love you guys. We love that you've been a part of our church community. I remember when you guys first, I'll say, came on the radar, so to speak. It was like, who's that? <laughs> um, but we love you guys. But what I, th- what I think is one of the most interesting parts of your story as it relates to us is your first impression of Collective Church. Tell us a little bit about, about your first impression, your first experience with our church community. Sure. All right. Well, I'll go first. So the first, uh, was the first three weeks, um, the subjects that Casey spoke on was race, money, and abortion. So it, was, <laughs> it did not start off light. So, but the way Casey dealt with it was really tasteful and biblical. And, um, and we got to know Casey after that really well. And um, it was like, we just had to be here. It was. It's like, welcome to Collective Church. We're going to talk about abortion. Yeah, you didn't, it wasn't. And like, race and it was money. Like, Let's awesome. just go right there. Yeah. Cool. We also put. Um, oh, wait, maybe this isn't on. I'm sorry. There we go. Thanks. We also put uh, Collective on um, maps on, I- on our iPhone to get here. And it was two and a half miles away, and it took us nine minutes, which yeah. for us was a really big deal. Um, we had been traveling to a church that was pretty far before that, and we have a lot of kids. So it was like, this is totally easy. Oh my gosh, we can like get home before people fall asleep in the car, and we don't even have to go out to lunch. We could go home for lunch. It was pretty cool. Yeah, and for you guys, I mean, we, we, when you talk about the proximity with which you, you live from our, our gathering location here, um, it's not all about convenience in the sense that we want people to have a connection with their church community that is, is more than convenience. But convenience is actually a significant factor because it means that you could actually become a meaningful part of that church community. And it's not something like where you pick and choose, are we going to make the drive today, are we going to be able to do this, are we going to do that, all that we're doing is available to you, and that's something that is important to us, and that's why we even have a regional focus um, as a church community, so that we can offer meaningful community, meaningful discipleship, and all those things to the people that are part of our our church community, and and when you guys, like I said, when you came onto the scene, it's like, hey, who's that, maybe it was the fact that you had five kids, I don't know, and suddenly our children's ministry, you know, quadrupled or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> no, You're welcome, yeah, April. No, we, also, we wanted to connect with people that have families that live on the west side, which is kind of a rare thing. Yeah. Especially people that have more than two or three kids. So yeah. uh, we met a, several families here. That, so what's, it like, what's that like been for your family to be a part of a church community like this? Well, I, I feel like as a mom, I've been able to relate to a lot of the, um, the moms here and just, you know, be like, oh my gosh, you know, talking about the traffic or just where to go to get resources as a mom or um, even just parenting stuff because, um, you know, just a certain type of person lives on the west side and it's just been a a place where we could relate to each other 
that's for me, that's been the case. Cool. Yeah. And, and to be a part of a church community, this is something that's always been really important to us, is that it's not just the Sunday gatherings, but it's all the other stuff that happens as well. Like I mentioned, meaningful community, meaningful discipleship, and all that kind of stuff. And while you jumped into serving, which was awesome, and, my, and most of you probably know Mike because he's been serving as a greeter, um, um, while you, you jumped into serving, it was also... Uh, there was a little bit of, there's some stuff that God was doing in your hearts as it related to serving. Mike, why don't, you, why don't you share about that? Yeah, well, I think we started off, you know, we had to serve. You know, that's sort of the thing that you do when you join a church. But we couldn't um, believe how much we were served in return. And we've had people uh, help us with uh, moving furniture when we had to. We had people bring us meals when we had to move out of our house for a week. Um, when uh, our son was born um, earlier this year, we had people bring dinner. Um, and obviously we have Jeremy and Katie who yeah. have served our daughter in such a selfless way, and that's been incredible. So um, we did not expect that. Way to go. <laughs> I think that when we jumped in to coming here, we were like, you know, we're going to blow this place wide open. You know, it's the patties. We're going to like, you know, we do all the things and whatever. And I think God was like, no, you're going to sit and you're going to watch my people love you. And it's been incredible. Yeah, for people to come in like you who are already uh, in that mindset of you're already coming in with, okay, I'm going to serve. I'm ready to do that. But to, to learn how to receive was a bit of a different experience for you, which is interesting because that's usually the opposite. People have the opposite experience where I think we're usually pretty guarded. And so when we become a part of a church community, our first inclination is not to serve, but it's to, to see how we can be served. And that probably... Um, caters to our, our self-interested nature. Um, so and you guys have been great in, in the way that you have served. Tell us about what it's like to, for you to be in, as, as we talk about how this is about more than Sundays, tell, tell us what it's like for you to be involved in neighborhood dinners. Oh, that's, yeah. That's okay, so the first time I, uh, when our youngest was six weeks old, I was like maybe ready to like surface and be normal. And um, so I went to Lorenzo and I'm like, okay, neighborhood dinner. Patties are in. We'll just host. And, and he was like, oh, you know, whoa. Yeah, I was he's, like, back off, lady. <laughs> and he's like, hold on a second. What if you just went to a neighborhood dinner, you know, and allowed, well, I don't remember exactly what you said. Sorry. I don't either. But he's like, what if you just went and I was like, but we're like the patties, we're the circus, you know, with the kids and the crying and the whatever. Lynn was nine months pregnant at the time. And Lorenzo, thank you for, you know, <laughs> yes. trying to slow my wife down. I got you, buddy. I got you. So we actually just went to a neighborhood dinner one time, and it's, it was awesome. You know, like, from the lowest kind of rung of um, dinner for my family, like, basically, all we had to do was just bring brownies or something, you know, we get dinner for everybody. Um, to the time of day, it's a great time of day for us to have the kids be running around and seeing their friends, and then, you know, up the rung to connecting with people, learning who these people are, like making um, professional kind of connections, like with Mike, and um, yeah, it's just it, it was it ended up you know blessing me, and I don't have to host. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think the one thing I do remember of that conversation is that it's often difficult for families to get involved in those sort of extracurricular things. And often families feel like 
I don't want to be a burden on on people, and as a parent, I, I get that. I, I feel the same thing. Um, but it's always been important for us as a church to welcome kids at literally everything that we do. So if it's a prayer night, kids are welcome. And I remember when we started our church three years ago, crammed into a living room having a prayer, having these prayer nights. We told everyone straight up, the kids are going to be screaming in the room and, and across the house. And like, let's be okay with that. We wanted to create a culture where kids weren't sort of shunned and kind of like displaced to the other side of the house or whatever. We always wanted kids to be a part of our church community. And, and, and in doing that, being able to, to welcome families. And we're obviously stoked that you guys have been a part of our church. But there's a change coming up. And you guys are going to be actually moving out of the area. And then, of course, that's incredibly bittersweet for us. I'm sure that is for you as well. Um, but tell us, as you reflect and you look back, you've been, you, you became a part of this nine months ago. As you reflect and look back at what God has done in your hearts and in your lives as you've been a part of this church community, how God has grown you and what he's shown you, what comes to mind? Well, I, I do know, I think God has humbled us through people that have served us. Um, but I'm just, just being around people here, especially young people, and I want to put a spotlight on Jeremy and Katie again, just the way that they have been so selfless. It's, you know, when I was in my mid-20s, there's no way I would have been as selfless <laughs> as these guys. And to see that they've served our kids, um, I mean, that's just evidence that God is doing something special here. And it's, it was very clear to us. So it's good to see that. For me, I think vulnerability during the prayer times and during the reflection time, I haven't been a part of a church that does it exactly like that before. Um, and that has been really cool to see people go for prayer or even for me to go for prayer. Um, I feel like God said, um, it's okay. It's okay. You can feel comfortable here. And um, these people will actually care for you um, and be my hands and feet kind of thing. So I've seen God work in me. Um, also, like a humbling as well. Well, we're so thankful for you. We're going to miss you when everything finalizes and you guys end up leaving. Um, but we've been so blessed to know you and to, um, and I know for me, and I speak for other people as well, to be able to call you friends. friends and um, thanks for being a part of what God's doing here. And we're glad that for your time here, that God's been able to, to work in your lives and that, that God has used us and given us the privilege to serve you guys and your family. Can we give them a, a, a thank you? Show our appreciation. Thank you guys so much. I'll take that. Love the patties. So we're turning three, as I said a few times now, and as Isaac said. And uh, while last week, we looked back at our previous year and we sort of looked at our present state, the current state of things. And this is part two, where we're gonna be looking forward and looking ahead to what God has for us next, the things that he's been putting on our hearts to sort of, uh, in, in part, we wanna just sort of pull back the curtain and allow you guys to see some of that stuff and be aware of some of these things. And so we're gonna be uh, getting into some of this. And as, as we get into this, these are really just the next steps for us as a church. 
There's nothing, there's no great unveiling that we're going to do today. If you've been a part of our church community for a while, and especially if you go all the way back to the core group days, you're not going to discover today that we're talking about this, this brand new, you know, left turn in our mission and our vision or anything like that. This is, this is just the natural next steps for us as we continue to, take, to, to move forward and take steps in our mission to reach, teach, and equip people to be followers of Jesus, or quite simply, just put it another way, to just simply make disciples of Jesus and see them growing in number on the west side. And so uh, we're going to get into it in a second, but first, pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this milestone, and that now we get to look forward and look ahead to what you have for us next as we've looked back and seen, we've seen your goodness, We've seen your faithfulness. Lord, we look back and we see the God of the Bible. We look back and we see that you've been true to your nature. And Lord, as we look back and we see that, we now look forward and we know that we can just expect more of the same, your goodness and your faithfulness and your provision for us. So Lord, just be with us now. Give us minds to comprehend and wrap our brain around some of these things. Gives us hearts to receive these things. Give us ears to hear, uh, ears to hear, not ears to ear. But Lord, as we look at some of this, I also ask that you would be with me to help me to articulate these things in a clear way that makes sense. Be with us now, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. So as we are looking at some of this stuff, not only are we going to be sort of looking ahead, but I also want us to be able to see these things as the opportunities that lay before us, the opportunities we have to see the mission of God continue to move forward, the opportunities that we have to be used by God in his work on the West Side, not only for what, for what this means for us as a collective church, I mean that as our name, but also as an adjective, as a collective church, but also for us on a more personal and individual level. And as we go over this stuff, I'm sorry if this is your first time here. I apologize that this isn't a typical service. I hope that you're not too bored by this stuff, but I also hope that as we, as we attempt to communicate these things, it will give you a little bit of a glimpse of who we are as a church community and our desire to be transparent and open with all of these things and also provide active leadership as we seek to pursue what God has for us. But God has given us uh, a mission and a vision for the part that we can play in his work. We've been pursuing that for three years now, and I'd like to see us getting after it for the next few decades at the very least. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. And where we find ourselves, we're at that place where... There is what is and what could be. What is and what could be. And in that gap between what is and what could be is opportunity. In the gap between what is and what could be is opportunity. And this opportunity involves two roles. Us and God. Our role and God's role. When it comes to God's part, we know this. 
God is never the variable. While we don't always understand what God is doing, or we don't always think that he knows what he's doing, and maybe we think sometimes he didn't come through, or we feel like he's let us down, the truth is, even though we think that and feel that, the truth is we're wrong. Because as I mentioned a minute ago, we look back and we see the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. We know that that's who he is. He always proves himself to be who he says he is. So in this opportunity gap, we see that God always comes through and accomplishes his purposes and his plans. Because everything he does is good. Because he is good and he cannot deny himself. How he comes through sometimes baffles us, sometimes confuses us, doesn't always make sense of us, and, it doesn't, it's, and, and, and sometimes we're a little bit weirded out by it. But he is always true to his own nature and will always do his part. And through what he will do, and, and, and what he will do, and how he will do it, even though his part Will, is sometimes unknown in the whole like God works in mysterious ways kind of a way. Even though the part that he has is sometimes unknown and how he will work is unknown, we can be absolutely certain that he will do it. So the who is God, the how is sometimes unknown, the if, the probability is certain. How is unknown? The probability is certain. And for us, in those moments, in this situation, the next step for us, the thing that we have to do is just simply put our faith in him and trust him. Now with us, it's a bit of a different story. We are the variable compared to God. And there are times where we know what we're supposed to do, especially in a general sense, or maybe he gives us specific instructions, or maybe just we read the Bible and, and without even applying it to the specifics of our life, there's that general sense of what God says to us and we have an expectation of what he wants from us. So the who is us, the how, and the, and the what and the methodology is known, but the probability is uncertain. The if is uncertain. Because sometimes we know what we're supposed to do, but like, wait, will we be obedient? Will we follow through on these things? And it's appropriate for us in the way that we respond to just simply be obedient. With the God's part, we place our faith in him and we trust him. With our part, we simply just need to obey. It often boils down to one simple question, will we? So I would put these questions to you. Will we trust God? Will we insist on doing it our way? Will we give ultimatums before considering obedience? Will we be okay if his plans don't seem to jive with ours? The interesting thing about our role and God's role is that we do not get to manufacture fruit. God does. So rather than 
determining specific outcomes that we're shooting for, or even metrics that we identify, rather than shooting for specific outcomes that we want, instead, we need to be focusing on identifying and contributing to the conditions necessary for fruit to be produced. So rather than focusing on specific outcomes, we want to identify and contribute to the conditions necessary. That's where we want to invest in those conditions necessary for bearing fruit. Let me give you an example. We want people to enter into a relationship with Jesus, right? That's what we're all about. We want people to enter into a relationship with Jesus. But we can't save anyone ourselves, nor, we, nor do we have the capacity within ourselves to forgive people's sins. So our part is to look for opportunities to share the gospel with people with the hope that they will see their need for Jesus and place their faith in him. Is it our job to save people? No. Is it our job to look for opportunities to share Jesus with people? Yes. Our focus is not on specific outcomes. Our focus is creating the conditions by which we can see spiritual fruit. Our part is more process-oriented than outcome-oriented. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about how one plants, another waters, yet God brings the growth. One plants, another waters, yet God brings the growth. But here's the thing. God doesn't need us to plant and water. We need us to plant and water. God has called us to participate in his work. We need to be obedient. We need to see ourselves within God's work. We need to understand what God has called us to and what it means for us to be a part of a church and what it means for the church to be present in the world. What has God called us to do? He chooses to make us a part of his plan. What is he calling us to? What is he calling us to collectively? And what is he calling us to individually? We just want to be faithful with the things that he's called us to do. So what does that look like now? As far as the planting and the watering go, what does that look like in this next year, our fourth year? How do we get from what is to what could be. In this opportunity gap that exists between these two places and considering the key is obedience, we need to ask ourselves, what does obedience look like? What has it called us to? How will we participate in God's work in this next year to reach, teach, and equip people to be followers of Jesus? Of course, it, it involves always improving on the things that we're already doing. But I want to share some specific things, some specific opportunities that we're going to have in this next year. I think I mentioned in uh, last week, I think I mentioned, I made reference to the new Connect process. And, and I want to share with you a little bit about that. Some of you know about it, some of you don't. So let me get into it a little bit here. When we, when we have something called a connect process, considering we're a church, that can mean all kinds of things. Churches love to use the word connect. There it is back there on the sign. We don't, we don't always even know what it means, connect. 
connect to what? Connect who to who and who to what and what to who and all those sorts of things. What does that even mean? But we've been intentionally vague about this because it really involves connecting people to all kinds of stuff. And it's amazing. It involves several ministry fronts and integrating them so that we can see connections being made. What it really started out as was a simple assimilation process so that newcomers wouldn't fall through the cracks. It's been driving me nuts. Every Sunday, people come up to me and they say, hey, there were so many visitors today. And I get frustrated because I don't feel like we're doing everything we can to serve newcomers and those that are visiting. But that's going to change. That's going to change. But that's how this started out. This whole thing started out as a, an assimilation process of how can we care for newcomers better? Not so that we can grow a crowd because we're totally not interested in growing a crowd. We're totally interested in connecting people to meaningful community and meaningful discipleship. That's what we want to do. So it started out as that. But what I just said about connecting people to meaningful community and meaningful discipleship, we realize that in the midst of this whole process, if we do a really great job at helping newcomers to feel welcome and enjoy their time with us when they're here for the first time, and we successfully are able to do that so that they continue to come out on Sundays, what did we just do? What did we just create? All we did was create a bunch of consumers, people that are receiving only and contributing nothing or very little. So we realized very, very quickly that while we want people to feel welcome, while we want people to enjoy their time with us, while we want to make a good impression, so not for our sake, but so that they continue to come back and to learn more about Jesus, it's much more about just making people feel welcome and comfortable. But it's about giving people the opportunity to grow in their relationship with Jesus and get connected in a meaningful way to community and to discipleship, which is basically following Jesus. And the key to all of this connect process is going to be making our neighborhood dinners that we're having this week, actually, and most of you are part of them. The key is going to be making our neighborhood dinners the organizational unit of our church community through which most ministry will flow. Fancy words, the organizational unit. I don't know what else to call it. But basically, we're going to be seeking to funnel and flow all ministry to people through our neighborhood dinners. We're going to take advantage of the geographic network that already exists within our neighborhood dinners to be able to do that. Regardless if the people we're serving are in a neighborhood dinner or are part of a neighborhood dinner or not, it's totally irrelevant to that. But we're using that geographic network to be able to serve people better. And that's going to be key to this whole connect process. It's also going to decentralize people ministry, partly because of what I just said. It's going to put ministry where it needs to be, in the hands of people where they live, so they can serve others in the same neighborhoods where they live. We already have, and I failed to mention this last week, but we already have about three quarters of our church community involved in our neighborhood dinners and in our discipleship efforts, which is amazing. Three quarters of our church community is already engaged in our discipleship efforts and in our neighborhood dinners. And now, while that's a fairly high number and it's disproportionately high compared to the norms nationwide in other churches, we actually don't want that number to get too high 
Because if that number gets too high, the next question is, where's all the people that don't know Jesus, <laughs> right? If we're actually effectively reaching people, there'll be people that are coming into our church community that don't know Jesus and won't be connected in things immediately. They won't be connected to things like discipleship. And they might not be involved in things like neighborhood dinners and those sorts of things. So while that number is encouraging... It's probably fine right where it is. I don't know that I want that number to even go up because it raises other questions about how we're reaching people. But in this next year, while there won't be much change on the surface as it relates to our discipleship efforts at our neighborhood dinners, we expect to strengthen these ministry efforts considerably. And I don't have time to get into what that looks like today, but hopefully you'll experience that. Another thing that we're working on over this next year is we're going to be revamping our mission membership process. This is something that has been in process all year already, which is why our mission membership process has sort of been on hold. But where mission membership has historically been a process that involved classes covering who we are, what we believe, and what mission membership was all about, and what it meant to be a mission member here at Collective Church, we're going to be shifting to make it more of an equipping process where people make a meaningful commitment to be a part of a church community, and in doing that, express the desire to be invested in and developed as disciples following Jesus. Our response to that expression of, hey, I want to do this, and I want people to invest in me, and I want to grow, and I want to be developed, our response is going to be to promise to follow through on those things so that this process of mission membership is not just going through these classes, but it's going to be an investment process and a development process for people to experience so they can be trained and equipped to follow Jesus and to serve others and engage on, in God's work. And that's our promise to be able to do that. We're also in the process of putting together a leadership development pipeline or pathway, whichever you want to call it. I don't know which one I want to call it. Maybe we'll take a vote later. But we've actually been working on that for a couple months now. And this is a massive undertaking and one that will take some time to complete. But it has everything to do with investing in people, raising people up, and seeing God's kingdom move forward. So whether it's this integrated connect process that connects newcomers to the community and to discipleship and ensures we're effectively caring for people and giving opportunities to people to care for people, the strengthening of our discipleship efforts at our neighborhood dinners, redirecting ministry to flow through our geographic network of neighborhood dinners, the revamping of our mission membership process to one that involves more equipping, or building a leadership development pipeline so that we're raising people up and hopefully planting more churches, you can see as we look at some of what we want to work on in this next year and what we want to see happen and take place as we grow in maturity as a church and as we're growing up in a lot of ways and see these things um, developed, we can see, and I hope you can see, and I hope you would agree, that none of these things are superfluous but simply faithfulness demands it. We're not doing anything crazy. We're trying to care for people, disciple people, connect them to ministry, train them and equip them, all those sorts of things. Isn't that the kind of stuff that a church is supposed to do? None of this is superfluous. It's about faithfulness. 
How will we get away with reaching people but not making them family or discipling them? How do we get away with having people but not equipping them to serve God and others? How do we get away with being so short-sighted that we don't bother to raise up leaders and seek to plant more churches? We don't get away with that. That's not what we're going to do. We want to connect people, disciple people, make them family, equip them to serve God and others, raise up leaders and see more churches planted. Are you with me? I hope so. Our mission is to reach, teach, and equip people to follow Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is how the local church gets after the mission of God. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Implication being for his purposes. That's how we get after mission. But there's going to be some challenges. There's definitely going to be some challenges along the way. And if we want to see all this come to fruition, we're going to need to add staff to ensure that we have the bandwidth to develop and execute these initiatives. We talked about this last week. We're going to need to add staff. I just don't have the bandwidth. The pastors just don't have the bandwidth. It's only Pastor Casey and I on staff. But it's not just these initiatives. More staff will provide much needed support to our current ministry efforts, the stuff that we're already doing, and will help focus the pastors because too often we're pulled away into other things from what we're supposed to be doing to do these other things. But that means if we add staff, expenses will go up. And quite honestly, that's not something that we can presently afford to do. And there's something else you need to know. I mentioned last week that we have the benefit and blessing of a few other churches that have believed in our vision and what was happening here and have also financially supported us in our startup years. And they have been amazing. The plan all along was that the support would taper off. The support from them would taper off within a few years. So what you need to know is that this year, support from these other churches will be reduced by $70,000. It won't be reduced to $70,000. It'll be reduced by $70,000. And that's just one of the reasons why this is probably going to be one of our most challenging years financially. We celebrated a lot last week. We have much to celebrate. Things are moving in the right direction. Our volunteer engagement is in the top 10% compared to other churches nationwide. I don't say that to boast. I say that to give you an idea of how amazing you guys are and to show you that the level of engagement here is not something that we're complaining about. I mentioned, I mentioned that the participation rate in our discipleship efforts and neighborhood dinners, I already said that today, is, is about three quarters of our church community. Our giving last year increased by 25%, which is nothing to sneeze at at all. It increased, our giving increased by 25% to a level that is rare for a three-year-old church that, 
and, and, and a church our size. And what this did was it allowed us to cover 82% of our own expenses, the remainder being covered by outside support in our supporting churches. But because there's so much evidence that God is working, my hope is that you will see what is happening here and see that God is working, be a witness to the work that God is doing, and go all in, investing your time, talent, and treasure. We truly believe this is something worth being a part of, participating in, and investing in. I'm not giving you the typical drib-drab story about how we're facing financial ruin and I'm asking you to step up. I'm actually showing you and attempting to communicate the opposite, that amazing things are happening. And I want to give you the opportunity to get involved in this thing that God is doing. And most of you already are. So what that looks like for you is then to maybe revisit that and reconsider that and think that through. What is my individual part in this? Last week, we looked at how there's a growth opportunity that presents itself here. Because we believe that stewardship of all that God has entrusted to us is a discipleship issue. You might call it a discipleship opportunity. But we talked about last week about how over half of our givers on record gave less than $1,000 last year. And the majority of those gave less than $500 last year. So the majority, oh sorry, over half of our givers gave less than $1,000 last year. And the majority of those gave less than $500 a year. That doesn't even include the people that don't give anything. And there might be good reasons for that. I don't know your financial situation. So what I'm really doing is I'm appealing to those that fit within this category that gave, but, but then maybe could have given more and been invested in this more. I'm appealing to you to revisit that and consider that. I'm not trying to twist the arms of people that already give faithfully and give proportionally. But here's an opportunity. And, 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 and to make some change in this area right here, is going to be the best opportunity that we have to face some of these challenges this year. To make a change in this is where we can make the, the most growth, I think, to be able to make a difference and to face the increase in expenses that we're inevitably going to have this year and then also help cover some of the loss of the outside support. This is, should actually be an easy win for us. Here's a great opportunity for us. So I would say if you care about this, if you care about your church community, if you care about what God is doing here, if you want anything from this, invest in this. If you're already giving, as I mentioned, faithfully and proportionately, thank you so much for that. You're part of the reason why we're in the situation we're in where we experienced 25% increase in giving last year. And our total giving was at a rate that is not normal in a good way. The challenge is that this is just a really expensive city. You, I, I can't really complain about very much at all with what you guys are doing. I talked to the board of our trustees, our board of trustees, and I'm like, and not that they're demanding taskmasters, but I've, I've posed to them the rhetorical question, what more can our people do? You guys have been amazing. It's just the cost of, cost of living, cost of doing business in Los Angeles. So let me reiterate what I said last week, because I always want this to be on the record. 
The pastors are not asking anyone to do what we are not doing ourselves. And the giving record of all of our pastors, as I told you last week, has been independently verified to make sure that we're not being hypocritical in this way, that we're putting our mouth, or putting our money where our mouth is, that we're leading by example, that we're following through on these things. And I gotta tell you, I hope this doesn't come across as grandstanding, but I was sitting with this stuff last night, actually early this morning, and my wife doesn't know this yet, but I really feel a stirring in my heart, and I should probably talk to my wife about it. <laughs> She's like, wait, what? But I feel a stirring in my heart is that, you know what? I feel like I'm giving faithfully. I feel like I'm giving proportionately, but I think we can do more. And we're going to consider that. We're going to prayerfully consider that. I had a conversation with someone earlier, right before we started, and they just volunteered the information. I didn't ask. And like, you know what? I was thinking about what you said last week. And I connected with my wife, and we've been talking about it, and we're, we're, we are reconsidering and revisiting what that looks like and reevaluating what it looks like for us to, what, what faithfulness and generosity looks like for us. And I told this person, you know what? Even if you don't ever give more, because this is a discipleship issue, I love that you're doing that. And I would ask all of you to do the same thing. Even if it means not a penny more is given, if each of us reevaluate where we're at with this stuff, because this is a discipleship issue, way more before it's an income and expense issue, man, and I know the pastors agree, that would be a massive box to check off for us. That would be success, even if another penny never came in. This is a discipleship issue. And so I present this to you. The other thing, too, is I don't know if even everyone even knows this, but since we planted, Pastor Casey and I have been fundraising to help cover part of our salary. Now, we're really pathetic at it. <laughs> we're not very good at it, but we've been doing that over the last, well, over three years, since before we planted the church. So all I'm saying is each of us has a part to play in this in this. We've got some incredible things that we could look back and see God doing. We've got some incredible opportunities as we look forward and see how we have these opportunities to care for people, love people, disciple people, connect them to community, train and equip them, develop them, raise them up as leaders, serve people, love people, all these things, some, these great opportunities. And I'm just calling you to consider what your part is in that. And so even now, Pastor Casey's going to come up in a minute, but even as I've gone over some of this stuff, I want you to sit with it. I want you to think about it. And as I've sought to cover part of our story, especially in this last year and connected to God, Pastor Casey's going to come on up now and um, talk about God and how God connects to our story. So Pastor Casey, everybody. All right. Yeah. Whoop. Thank you, Pastor Lorenzo. Oh, boy. Um, I know you guys are so ready for some Wendy's and some square meat or something and just to feel, your, you know, feel yourself. 
I said last week I went three minutes and I checked the time and I went 27 minutes. So I apologize. Today, I promise you will be much shorter, but I do need to, we need to connect this in such a way where there is no other way but us to go, God, do I have any other direction but to be obedient? God, is there any other option but to do this together? God, is there any other option but to do this worshipfully? So I am just gonna do, again, I promise you, it's gonna be so quick, but we have to set ourselves up to worship. We have to, because that was a lot, that was firehose-esque, that was filling, and, and we just need to go, okay, what do we do with this now? I'm gonna make that happen. But I want us to realize is what's beautiful about this, let me make sure this is off. What's beautiful about this is there's tons of amazing things God has done. And there's tons of amazing things God is going to do. But let me just say this. When I look at the scriptures, when I look at Jesus in the New Testament, and all these amazing things are happening, do you know what I find Jesus saying to all the people around him? Don't be amazed. Continually, Jesus is like, don't marvel at this. Jesus would stop people and go, do not be astonished. He's doing something amazing. And he goes, stop. Why? Why did he tell people, no, 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 no? Is it because, is it because amazement is a function of the brain and it's particular to our senses and it's like a momentary firework? What he wants, what Jesus wants, what the Lord wants is he wants faith. He wanted an investment of the heart that influences the way we are to live. So all these amazing things we could talk about our past and some of you are the first time here. This is why we do this to remind ourselves to go, this is amazing. Jesus is gonna go, no. There's something I want more than just your amazement. Something I want more. So Hebrews chapter 11 commemorates a group of people, not because they marveled, but in the face of something amazing, they had obedience. They had obedience to participate in easily one of the wildest, weirdest, most unorthodox, most unorganized plans in the history of strategy. God told a community of people to claim a well-fortified land as a block the entrance to the promised land. And history tells us that this was a fairly small city known as Jericho. It was about eight acres big. But what it lacked in city size that God told them to take, it made up for it in its walls. It had two separate walls. One was six feet thick, the inner wall. One was 12 feet thick, the outer wall, and about 30 feet high. And for some of you visual learners, I do just have a quick photo. If you guys are like, how does this work? Boom. That's how it works. Essentially, I want us to see this because I want us to see this as $70,000. I want us to see this as, as people we want to reach or the impossible. This is an impregnable city. It's impossible to breach. It is unconquerable. And yet collective church, this is God's way. This is always God's way. What did we learn last week? We learned that we read from Psalm 77 that God, your way is through the sea. It's not the sweet little yellow brick road. It's through the sea. God will always choose the way through the sea. God will always choose the ways through the Goliaths. God will always choose the ways through the walls. He's like the Kool-Aid man. He is constantly busting through walls. But notice, 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 nearly every single situation, rather than God just going, oh, I'm just gonna knock down the wall, or I will just turn Goliath into a chicken. Rather than doing that, God goes, you know what? I'm gonna use people. I'm gonna use people. So then the question is for us today that we must leave with is what types of people does God want to use? 
God, in what ways can I better position myself to be used by you? I think we're really good at at telling God a certain position that we want him to be in so that we could use him. But what type of position do I need to be in so that I can be used by you? And so I wanna go over three things. The pastors wanna encourage you just on three simple things. That's it, of how we can better position ourselves going into our fourth year. Joshua 6.2. I promise you this will be quick, but it's so beautiful. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armored men and do this for six days. Notice what was requested. I shared this with the the people here for pre-gathering prayer. It wasn't take the land. It wasn't burn the city. It wasn't fight. He's telling this massive commander, Joshua. He was telling him, no, you're not to fight. The command was simply march. That's all they were told to do was march once a day, which would have taken them about 30 minutes that small. March once a day for six freaking days. And on the seventh day, you're going to go around seven times. Can you imagine day three, the people of Jericho looking out their window going, (laughs) what are they doing? Every bit of skepticism in our skin and in our blood goes, what? This does not make a lick of sense. And yet, and yet, this commander in chief, this army were faithfully obedient to their God. Thus, Jericho was taken. Collective church, hear me. Lorenzo hit on this a bunch. What does obedience to the unconventional and the unnatural look like? What does obedience to not just one march, not two, not three, four, five, not even six, seven? What does obedience to his commands and his obedience to the uncertainty look like? This church, this first position we have to recognize is obedience. Now, I will just say this very quickly. I know that obedience in Los Angeles from a pulpit is a bad word. It's like me up here saying a bad word. I was gonna give you, I'm not gonna say it. It's like a bad word because guess what obedience does to us? It checks off all these little annoying Los Angeles Angelino boxes to go, independence is gone. It's a bad word because my individualism is gone. My freedom is gone with obedience. And yet there's no Christian faith, there is no collective church without faith and its interplay to obedience. What's the New Testament say? If you remember, it says faith without works. Also, you can say faith without obedience is limp, it is dead, it is useless. So if you have faith and you say you trust God and love God and love other people, but it doesn't move us or motivate us, then yeah, it's useless. It's useless. Now for many here, this is Jesus God stuff 101. And you're like, I came here to be challenged. I came here to be charged up. This is useless. The charge is this. God wants to position our church in such a way that we're so stirred to obey, to do things we wouldn't naturally do or think or even want, like march around a wall. The unnatural obedience. For an example, this is gonna sting. Unnatural obedience like introvertedness, embracing neighborhood dinners. Who was I with? somebody a few months ago who said, your neighborhood dinners are like nightmares to introverts. And I gave her one of these. 
great. <laughs> what else? Unnatural obedience. Like giving generously. What else? Like befriending those we wouldn't want to normally be around. Sandpaper people, we call them. <laughs> like showing people or showing hospitality to our enemies. What's other unnatural obedience? Like being faithful to that which we do not feel like being a part of doing or being or seeing. What else? Obeying without any thought of receiving. Since day one, this church has thought to break the bones of transactional ministry. I do this to get this. The Hebrews were obedient, even to the point where they saw that it was ineffective. And it was ineffective day one, it was ineffective day two. And they were were completely faithful and obedient all the way till the very end. So then what does it look like for us to commit at such a high level to one another's discipleship, to Sundays, to prayer meetings, even when our flesh or impatience says, what's the freaking point? Many of us have had that thought. What is the point? It's not working. This discipleship group's not working. Neighborhood dinners aren't achieving what I want them to achieve. This church, Sundays, I'm not feeling what I should be feeling. So when we say, what's the point? What that does is that uncovers self-seeking reasons. So yes, there can be obedience to the Lord, but there are also, if that is intertwined with benefits or to gain benefits, that is dangerous. So if you're saying, Casey, they marched to take the land. Yes, but God many times over and over again wanted them to know that he was their truer promised land. And if they wanted the promised land without him, he just let them have it. There are many, many times that God would ask for our obedience purely just out of love for him. So if you attend these gatherings or you serve or you give or you participate or love to get something out of it, then as an old monk has said by the name of St. Bernard, it says, the soul that loves God seeks no other reward than that God whom it loves. Were the soul to demand anything else, then it would certainly love the other thing and not God. So obedience for not self-serving reasons, but God and for the sake of others. Which brings us to our second position. This one's even faster. So bear with me. Joshua 6.16. Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. Said to the people, 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 shout. They all had to shout. They all had to make sure that there was nobody who would steal just a dime from the place. They all had to make sure it was a collective, it was a strong group, it was a body, it was a people who had to do this. This is a position of one anotherness. I really want for our church. Shouting obediently because they were told and shouting and shouting because there is no victory in individual, isolated faith. So what are we supposed to be obedient to? What is our march? What is our shout? There's a lot. There's a lot that the Bible tells us as a church, but mainly it has to do with one anotherness. Now I have a screen. There's 59, it's super blurry, and it's smaller than I expected, but... (laughs) The screen was bigger. Josh or Ross is messing with the size. Anyway, I blame Ross. Wherever you're at, Ross, I blame you. But listen, I can't even fit them all on there, but just know they're there. I promise you. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. That's not even counting the two each other's. 59 one another's. Serve one another. Love one another. Sing with one another. Care for one another. So on and so forth. That is what we are supposed to be obedient to. The one another-ness. 59 times. 
And they're not about God to us. They're not about the universal church. They're about how we're supposed to have interplay. They're about us. Oh, this is how I'm supposed to relate to God. This is not how we're supposed to relate to one another. Everything from unity to hospitality to devotion to edification. So what am I saying? That if you consider collective church, your church, but are not obediently participating in any of these 59 things, and any of these one another's, giving shouts of encouragements all the way to shouts of loving one another to shouts of mission, then there is a loss. There is a deficit in both this community, but also in your own life. So if you see this list and go, compare it to your local church, if you consider this church, and I'm going, I'm doing maybe one or two, great, don't stop. But there's more that the spirit of God has for you. Our shout will not be as loud. Now, I know I'm talking to a very small portion of you, so please, to that small portion, would you consider yourselves, position yourselves in such a way as we come into our fourth year where you saw your march, you saw your presence, you saw your obedience, you saw your work as adding immense and wonderful value to this church. Anybody who has a thought that, oh, I don't need to be there on a Sunday, I don't need to give, I don't need to serve, they'll find somebody else, you are dead wrong, dead wrong. We all need to shout. We all need to march. And the last position is this. And this is just probably the raddest moment that many people may not remember with the story of Joshua. It's Joshua chapter five, actually. Pay attention, it's so sick. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a woman was standing before him with his hand-drawn sword. Excuse me. A man was standing before him with his hand-drawn sword in his hand and Joshua went up to him and said, are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? And look at his response. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for this place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Whose side are you on? No. (laughs) What is your name? Nope. That is the exact moment. That is the exact moment. Because Joshua is confused. The question is not, am I I on your side? The question is, are you on my side? Meaning, it's not your agenda. It's mine. Meaning, it is not your mission mine. Meaning it is not your church. It is mine. Once Joshua sees that it's not about all what he wants or what he can do, this changes everything. Changes everything. What this commander demands before victory is a white flag of surrender. Did you catch that? Before we can go in victorious, he says, surrender. Surrender before victory. That is what the commander is teaching us. Jesus said something similar when he said, you cannot find yourself until you lose yourself. This is what's known as worship. This is worship. This is our final position. Why? Because as author Eugene Peterson says, may he rest in peace. He says, worship is the most soul-involving, reality-assimilating act available to human beings. 
We are most ourselves, most our image of God, creaturely selves when we worship. Truthfully, our obedience and our one anotherness is absolute garbage if it is not bathed and soaked and covered and sustained in our worship to this commander. We want to be an obedient community which ponders his worth and then does something about it. Accepting what God is worth and giving him what he's worth. This is why worship is just shorthand for worth-ship. Joshua experiences this commander who was clearly Jesus Christ. It's called a Christophany, an appearance of pre-incarnate Christ, pre-New Testament Messiah. And before any war, strategy, battle plan, doing happenings, Joshua falls on his freaking face. This is the man who's going to stand and march, but first he has to be on his face. And guess what he says? Tell me something to be obedient to. Obedience is no longer a lack of freedom. It is true liberation because he says, tell me something to be obedient to. He's begging for it. He's in his presence and goes, what can I do for you? That is what being in the presence of God does for a man or for a woman. What can I do for you? What does he say? What does my Lord say to a servant? And Jesus is like, I hate your shoes. Take them off. (laughs) This must be, and this is the most first position ever in a lot of ways that is prostration before the commander. So hear me, and I'm gonna wrap it up with this. Our hope in corporate times of worship when we're together, I'm not talking about individual worship. For a moment, I'm not talking about that. When we're together, when we're together, the point is to get us to where we are on our face in adoration, whether we feel it or not, whether we want to or not. Because the reality is that when we are together, God is not just present, he is active. God is doing something in us together because it takes faith to believe that God is working in us and on us, whether we get some kind of spiritual high out of it or not. And the Sundays aren't just really doing it for me here. Sundays aren't really doing it for me there. Does not negate whether God is moving in this community. It takes faith to believe that. This is why the book of Hebrews says, do you not dare to neglect the gathering? because God is at work in his people where they gather. And I'll just say it. I'll just say, some of you are missing that work by sporadic attendance. You are missing something ever so sweetly. Now, don't think I'm driving this to to drive our attendance. We do not care about a crowd. We care about worshipful hearts. And those people who are sporadically attending what is so transformative, they're also the same people that I talk to months later who say, I feel disconnected from the community. They're also the people saying I'm lacking in joy. They're also the people saying I'm uninspired. I can say wholeheartedly that so much of my formation has been simply shaped by worshiping with the church where there is a man or a woman of a different race race on this side, there's a man or a woman of different age on this side, that is what the church should be. Weeping, rejoicing, being together, whether we want to or not, singing, not because this song connects with me, but it clearly connects with him. 
So being with people has matured how I sense or experience the world I'm walking in. So if you wanna know how collective church is maturing together, when their corporate worship, when our corporate worship times are, not, are marked by, by active faith, not emotionalism. You know a church is maturing in their gatherings by shouting his truth over and over and over that he have overcome the greatest battle of all. Nothing else can intimidate when we know that the true commander, Jesus Christ, has completely demolished death, our condemnation, shame, our guilt. That he is our victor and he has defeated this. Thus, we can be absolutely assured of in our worship that any lesser wall, any lesser city of failures to divorce, to cancer, to $70,000, to the unknowns, they will not overcome us. Amen? Let's end this time with asking the same question that Joshua asked when he saw Jesus, which is, what would you have me do? What would you say to me? What would you have for me? Let me pray for us.